Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day, this calm before the storm. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy, your guidance. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you, Lord, for using me today to speak into the hearts and minds of your children. Help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the last couple of years, especially, I would say, there have been a lot of negative influences in the world. And so the pressures of the world, and if they're allowed, can creep into our minds and hearts and lives and try to steal the love and joy from our lives. Amen. Amen. I don't want to say amen because that means so be it or let it be unto me. (laughs) But you know, one word from God can change your life forever. So I pray you get one today. That's my prayer for you. So open your hearts and minds to hear God. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, He said, And because iniquity, which is, if you look it up, it'll say something like the immoral or or grossly unfair behavior. The iniquity, because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. He's talking about the times in which we live, I believe. He said this would be a characteristic of the end times. And he was saying that the negative things in the world would cause the love of many to to grow cold. The word waxed in the Bible is, is, think of a string, and and the way they used to make candles, they'd take a string and they'd dip it into wax. Let it cool, dip it again. Let it cool, dip it again. Over and over until it built up enough layers to make a candle. Amen. The same thing can happen to our hearts if we take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on the evil of this world and our circumstances, the trials of this life, and little by little the layers of negativity harden around our hearts as we move our focus from the Word of God from the kingdom of God, from the people of God, so that the love for God and for others waxes cold. It's it's very easy to be negative. Very easy to be negative, to be critical. It takes someone true faith and Love and courage, believe it or not, to always be positive and to speak edifying words. 
First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16. The Lord instructs us, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. We could just stop right there and work on that for the rest of our lives and grow in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. Just practicing every day being thankful for everything. He didn't say for the good things in life. He said everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's what the Bible said. Philippians 4.8, a scripture we've been talking about. We're talking about our thought life and how we can control our thoughts. Because God would be unjust to tell us to do something He didn't give us the ability to do. And Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, and I'll point you to every page from Genesis through Revelation. Whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... If there be any praise, think on these things. We can direct our thoughts. Ephesians 4.29, he says, Let no corrupt communication, no talk, no language, no foul language, no negative or evil, corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that is building up, <clears throat> that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Love, humility, honor, the fruit of true Christianity takes faith, takes practice, and some people live offended their entire lives. It shouldn't be that way, folks. They'll never admit it. I've never seen anyone admit it. When you look it straight in the face and call it what it is, they'll call it something else. <laughs> to explain it away, you see. And justify it in their own minds. And let me tell you, this is not humility. Some people in your lives are never going to benefit from the powerful truths and wisdom that you can share with them, knowing God. Because their receivers are broken. It might be from bitterness or unforgiveness or self-will, pride. Lots of ugly things prevent people from receiving they can't be told anything, though, without seeing it as a criticism, you see. So you finally just quit trying. And you just keep praying for them. Maybe God will send someone else across their path that they can't hear from. The problem is, if it's God using you to reach them, and they don't hear you, then they're not going to hear another godly voice either. They might hear an ungodly one that will agree with them. 
Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Even if it's coming through an old sinner like me. You see? My sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Yet how many who claim Christ walk in bitterness and unforgiveness. But again, they veil it by calling it something, something different or denying it altogether. All these negative things, the reason I mention them is because... God loves you. And He doesn't want these things for you. Why? Because they're harmful to you. Not to the people you think you're holding this thing against. You're the one you've imprisoned with these things. And it opens doors for the enemy into your lives. But pride keeps them from closing. Keeps you from closing the doors on the devil. Forgiveness is like setting... A prisoner free and then finding out you are the inmate. You see. So besides closing all the doors to the enemy that are taught in basic Christianity. How do we stay positive in an evil and violent and negative world? Because we're instructed to. Joshua 1.9. I'll give you an example. God told Joshua, he said, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. That's, that's the King James. See, the Lord, he was talking here to Joshua, who was just taking over the position that Moses had <laughs> had for a long time. Big shoes to fill. Amen. Up until up, up until John the Baptist came, Moses was the meekest man in the world. And he wielded the most power during his ministry. And Joshua was filling these shoes. And God, yeah, he told Joshua to be strong and of good courage and not to be afraid or dismayed. Because these are opposing forces, you see. I talk about how we're built like a seesaw. Both ends can't be up at once. It can be the promises and provision and protection and love and liberty of God or it can be the negative situation and fears and Worries and cares of this life. Not both. If you're afraid and dismayed, then you're not strong and of good courage. So they counteract each other. It's like a spiritual tug of war. So we have a part to play, don't we? When we meet God's conditions, He'll always meet His. Better said, when we cooperate with God's spiritual laws, we will benefit from the blessings already waiting there for us. These are the Bible study books I just got in for, for the ladies. This is the book they're using. 
You've already got it, so quit trying to get it. You've got a picture of a dog chasing his tail here. So powerful. John fourteen twenty seven is another example of how we have it's a it's a relationship. My favorite scripture, peace I leave with you, Jesus said. This is on that fateful night. He had talked to them about lots of things and he had more to say. You can imagine on his last night and he knew it. But he wanted to give them something very personal. In John fourteen twenty seven he says, Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, our job is to let not, let not our hearts be troubled or afraid. We have to resist these negative thoughts and feelings. Then, the Lord works His peace in and through us, you see. Yeah, with me? So we're not afraid. We're not dismayed. We're not distressed. We're not shook up. And we stay at peace. Being brave and strong and courageous in the face of adversity and the negative influences of this world. That's the ticket. And you can change those negative things into positive things. I look back at that green bucket sitting back there. I forgot to tithe an offering basket today. So we had to find something. And we looked over there by the wall and there was that green bucket. It had a lid on it and it said liquor wagon. 50 cents a ticket. Well, we took that lid off, we left it over there, we put the bucket over there, and we made it to an offering basket for God's church and the kingdom of God. Amen. That simple. But the Lord doesn't automatically do these things for us. He works through us. This is the relationship we're always talking about and trying to encourage people in. If you get discouraged or dismayed, you stop the process, you see. It's not a condemning message. It's one to try to help you to be free, to set you free. I always liked finding out that I had a part to play. Others think it's very condemning and convicting and critical and no, that's hurtful. Why? Isn't it to your benefit to know what God has provided and He's just waiting there for you? If you take that step in that direction, you have a part to play. If it's all up to God, then you're just stuck with what you get. (laughs) Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Everybody knows that part of the Scripture. They'll quote it, but I never hear them finish it. Because it says a comma there and it says according to the power that worketh in us. Am I reading it right? So again, it's pointing out the relationship. But like we do in this world, it tends to be one-sided. We just cut off our part and just say what God's going to do. Well, apart from you, 
He ain't going to do nothing. The power that's working in you, power God has already placed in you, it's it's, it's tapped into and it's allowed to flow when we learn to agree and cooperate with God regarding who He says we are and what He says we can do. Man, did I go to the Presbyterian church by mistake? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I just said I sold a job on Friday to a Presbyterian couple. Lovely, lovely. Love them very much. I'm very proud of them. They were on their way to church that evening when I left. They weren't scared. As far as I know, they're not. They haven't embraced all the gifts of the Spirit yet. But they're still walking in faith. Amen. Amen. God bless them. God flows through us. So if we get discouraged, we stop the flow of God's power. It's a spiritual law that's at work. It's not punishment from God that that He's turning off the spigot. He's never turned it off. It's our receivers that are broke. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be at peace. He wants you living victoriously. The Bible refers to it as reigning in life. I think it was Joseph Prince that that wrote a book on reigning. Reigning in life. How to reign or something like that years ago. But that comes from Romans 5.17. Which says, for if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. They're talking about Adam. I tell you, God only sees two people in this world. Not that he doesn't know who you are and you have your own identity. But he sees two things. He either sees Adam. He sees fallen, corrupt seed. Still spawn of Satan. Or he sees Jesus Christ. And it's all about the seed. That's why Jesus said, if you don't understand the parable of the sower, you're not going to understand any of his, 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 his lessons. That's why there's not, a, there's not an evangelical minister in the world or a pastor of a church that doesn't... If somebody wants to go into ministry, pastor may never care, which I don't, about people's giving. I want them to give because I want them to be blessed. And so does God. But God, that minister will look at that person's giving record if they want to be in ministry. Why? Because they have to pay to play? No. He wants to know if they understand and believe the principles that Jesus taught on. And I can tell by looking at your checkbook what you really believe in. It's just the truth. If you really believe that he returned seed to the sower... Same as you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow, no one would be able to stop you from giving. 
For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We should be seeking God about what it means to reign in life instead of being reigned over. And if we're expected to reign in life, which we are, by God, why aren't we? First, I need to mention, as always, that the sovereignty teaching on God in in the church from the pulpit in large part has crippled people. It makes Christians passive, and that's why I hate it. I have to tell you, God, yes, God is sovereign to the extent that God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. One God, He's it, we're not. But the way he has things set up are based on his spiritual laws that he has in place for our benefit, not for our detriment. And when people are, when things are withheld from people or they're misinstructed regarding those things that God put it there to be a benefit to them, I don't like it. Do you? Okay. That's all I'm saying. I'm not against anybody. Love them all. So that's one of the problems. But another one is guilt and feelings of unworthiness amongst believers. And this is a big one. Just as big as the first. It leaves people paralyzed and feeling like they have no right to expect anything good from God. And it keeps them from being proactive concerning anything good in their life. Are you hearing me? Whatever happens, happens. That's how they think. Then the only things that they are proactive about are natural things, you see. Because they're living out of their soulish realm. So things they can do in their own strength and power and finances and abilities in the, the soulish realm, then, then, then that's, that's okay. They're going to still get by. But they're living by sight. They're carnal. Carnal doesn't always mean sinful. It just means natural. Well, let me tell you, you are a supernatural being if you belong to the Lord Jesus And He's called you to a supernatural life. If your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. So, where does all this leave God? When people feel unworthy, or they just think, whatever happens, that's God's, you know, He's sovereign, whatever will be, will be, or I'm just unworthy, and I don't feel like I deserve anything from God, so I'm not going to be proactive, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to believe for anything. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Where does that leave God in your life? It relegates God to a grief counselor. Grief counselor. That's it. That's all he gets to be in your life. After the tragedy occurs, after the crisis has come upon you, then you go to God and you get comfort. And that's the place to go to get comfort. Don't get me wrong. If you're not too mad at Him, that is, for allowing the thing to happen. Because that's what people say. All wrong thinking, by the way. God gets blamed and accused for the things that the devil has done all the time. Amen. And a lot of people have been taught that he's done that from from Sunday school, you see. Well, that's not the God that Jesus talked about. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I'm good, the devil's bad. He said, he's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. He said, hadn't you heard about Jesus of Nazareth? He was anointed with power and with the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Oh, he didn't put sickness on some of them to try to teach them something? No, he didn't. The truth is, we can be proactive. And we can avoid the tragedies and the crisis. Not... Don't get me wrong, we're going to have trials. Bad things happen to good people. But miracles are not God's best for you. If you need one, it is at the time. But what's, what's a miracle require? A crisis. He don't want you living crisis to crisis. He wants you to live the blessed life that He died to provide you with. Why would He hang there suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both, if you were going to walk around rejected and condemned for the rest of your life? Turn to Galatians chapter 4. I tell you, I love you today. Galatians, right before Ephesians. Galatians. I remember, I remember Jep, G-E-P, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, I don't know why I remember that. Don't get jipped out, I don't even spell it right, but I remember it that way, so I'm going to teach you wrong here. Alright, Galatians 4, verse 1, Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. Wow. Isn't that interesting? As long as you're a child, even though you are Lord of all, in Christ, you are co-heir with Christ. Everything that is His is yours. It was God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's no good thing that He will withhold from you. It is God's will that you be in good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Your God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. But as long as you're a child, even though everything has been left to you, given to you, you are inheritor of it all and destined to reign in life by God. If you don't grow, if you don't mature in your faith and in this word, in your practice of the Lord's teachings and grow in the grace and knowledge, a revelation of who God is and who you are in Christ, then you'll miss out on what God has for you. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. I hear somebody somewhere, either here today or hearing this message in the future, saying, yeah, but I missed out on it. I'm too old. I got started too late. You know, that's what I told God when he called me to preach. 14 years ago. I've talked to so many guys, man, that were like me. I don't think I've ever claimed to be a, a wonderful person before I came to the Lord. And I don't claim to be wonderful and perfect now. But I, I don't think I've made any pick bones about the fact that I was pretty bad. If, I, if I've uh, led you astray in that, then uh, forgive me. I was terrible. One word from God can change your life today. I tell people that tell me, man, I already already made my bed. I'm just going to lay in. It's too late for me. That's nonsense. God can do more in one day or one week or one month or one year that's left of a life than you ever did with the 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years prior. Amen. So don't, don't fall into that trap of believing either. Because I tried that with God. He just wouldn't let me alone about it. So I'm thankful he didn't. First Peter chapter 2 verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. We have to realize that we all start off. As babes in the faith. Buddy was talking about this today. Not everybody's at the same level. 
you know. Although the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So in God's eyes, just because you don't know a lot yet about the Word and and have grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, you, you might receive extra protection for a time, you see. I know He loves to spoil His children. He spoiled the dickens out of me when I was a baby and Him, even though I was a grown man, and I kind of got used to it and He had to wean me off. Because He doesn't want you living from goosebump to goosebump or sign to sign, you see. He wants you to live according to your faith in this Word. But some never desire... To pursue their growth in the word is the problem. And they drop out of the race. I can't tell you how this, I hear this from ministers all that go all over the world. And that's one of their number one hurts in life is how many that they've been in the race with and how many have dropped out. People just catch on fire for God and for the Word, and then after a while they just they just fall away. Uh, I was looking, I was thinking about this yesterday, and, and I was thinking of like when you're a kid and you had those little black cat firecrackers, and you just light one, and you get, and then that fuse just burns so fast and so bright, and then it's done. It just hits there enough. Oh man, it just fizzled out. You see. That's what happens with a lot of people just like firecrackers. They fizzle out. Others think it's sort of a once and done thing, you see. And this is just as dangerous. I had someone tell me that I care very much about one time. Oh, I took care of that a long time ago. Talking about our life in in God and salvation. What does that tell me? They tell me that they went and got some fire insurance. That means they got baptized and they think that somebody told them that's all you have to do before you die. Others think it just doesn't require all that. I don't know how many people I can tell you that just say, you know... They hear some preacher like me, who I say it because I say it a lot... Church attendance doesn't save you. So they take that as a license <laughs> to, to never go. If you knew the, the huge number of born-again, spirit-filled Christians who don't attend church, it would blow your mind. Some people do just doesn't take all that. The Bible clearly portrays the Christian life as a race. And it's not a hundred yard dash, folks. It's a marathon. Over and over and over again. The Lord started giving me... Yesterday, I only set myself apart for a few hours with the Lord because Monday I spent all day with Him and He gave me a message. I never usually do that. He never usually gives me a message. 
But he's been speaking to me since Monday. I set myself apart most of that day. And he began to speak to me. And But the word over and over, if there's a single word, is about perseverance. 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 It's not a once and done thing, folks. And if you think it just doesn't require all that, then you're thinking of all that as you're wrong-minded about it. My friend tells a story about when he growing up in the Baptist church. He says, uh, Mary had a little lamb who would have been a sheep, but then he joined the local church and died from lack of sleep. Because <laughs> they were in church every day, twice on Sunday, and it got to be just a religious ordeal, you see. And that's, that's true. There has to be a balance. There are priorities in this life. And God wants you to live it. But you have to get to a point. Like Buddy was telling me this morning. Where you just stop worrying about your own salvation. And start thinking about all those who haven't. Who need it. That's growth. (laughs) Amen. Jesus said. That it requires perseverance or endurance to the end. All the way to the end. That's a fundamental fact and condition of our salvation. Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 13, he said, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay? So, you know... Understanding spirit, soul, and body is a great benefit to the believer because you understand that you are a spirit with a personality, a soul, walking around in a body, vehicle. So when you were born again, truly born again, you had your encounter with God, your spirit was born again, and then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. One third of you is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. You are... You have all the love, joy, and peace inside of you that you'll ever need for this whole life. One third of your salvation is complete. Now we're working on the soulish realm. The mind and will and emotions has to be renewed from all the corruption from this world. The garbage in has produced garbage out and we have to renew that mind according to the washing of the water of the word with the help of the Holy Spirit until we come into agreement and then we begin to draw on the well of the kingdom of God which is on the inside of us and it comes out through the soulless realm and then this vehicle will line up with whatever you see. The one who endures to the end will be saved. You know a great example of that I don't have time today is the, the parable of the sower. Some people never look at it as like that, but I can show you it in that light. Maybe I will do that soon. But it's always sad to see folks in any of those those sort of mindsets or conditions because you want people to pursue their growth. You want people to be in the race with you. This is a race where you, you're not so worried about, although it does say 
everybody, Paul talks about winning the race and, and, and only one wins the race, but he didn't mean it like that. We want everybody to sort of cross that finish line with us, don't we? Everybody. There are some that have tried to convince people that there's no literal hell. That's a very dangerous doctrine. Because once you know that there is a literal hell and what it really is, even your worst enemy, you wouldn't want to go there, you see. The best thing can happen to them is for God to get a hold of them and change their heart. Turn that mess into a message and help others to be set free. Because at one time you were like them, you see. And then see, then we find out where people are because you see if the sin of comparison comes in. Oh, well, I was never like that. Oh, okay, so you were doing God a favor when you came down to the church. That's, that's where a lot of people are, whether they admit it or not. You're so glad this other person got Jesus because they really needed it. Well, what does that say about you? You were okay. <laughs> you were okay. You know, you need to not only be born again, but we always need to be growing and maturing and adding to our faith, allowing it to be tested and tried in the furnace. Yeah. That's the hard part. We don't want to think about that. God doesn't tempt you, but He certainly does test you. Every word that goes into you from this Word, this Bible, will be tested in the furnace. God will test His Word in you. He's looking for something to brag about you on. Look at my baby. Standing in faith in the midst of adversity and trials and troubles. That's what he's looking for. And he's trying that word in you. Just like the refiner, he, he, he heats that silver up. He heats it up into a boiling point. And then, and then all the dross, as it cools, begins to come up to the top. You see? All the impurities and imperfection. And then he scrapes it off. And then he heats it up again. He does it seven times. Seven times to get it to where it's pure enough to what? When he looks down, he sees his own reflection. That's what God's doing in you. If you allow him. First Peter... Chapter 1, look at the 7th verse. I'll back up just a little bit. <laughs> verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says it again. He talks about it in, in the next book, in, in, in the first chapter. And I'm going to skip that because I, I'm starting to feel a little pressure on time. So, and then James in chapter 1, verse 2, starting at verse 2, he, he tells us, this is the brother of, of Jesus, or half-brother, however you want to say it. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of us face it, consider it joy when we face trials? But he's he's telling us to, isn't he? And he tells us why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look at that. Let perseverance finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, like Paul, I don't want to become your enemy because I tell you the truth. That's what he said in Galatians 4.16. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? But folks, we have to learn endurance. We have to learn patience. And we have to practice our faith in the Christian life. I talk about faith like a muscle. It, you know, you can have a, a bicep that is just hanging there, or you can have one that stands up like Popeye's. <laughs> but he didn't get that just from eating spinach. Popeye was a sailor man, and he worked hard, and he built those muscles up by way of use, you see. The same goes with our spiritual muscles. Amen. <laughs> If you think it's a once and done, then you've effectively dropped out of the race. If you think it's all up to God and that, and that your passivity is faith, you're just, just waiting on God. It's not. It's not. If you feel unworthy that others are special, God might use others. God might use Pastor Will, but not me. I got news for you. Pastor Will has been uh, being accused of, of, of being a liar and a hypocrite too. This week. <laughs> I'm going to persevere. I'm going to press on to that well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. You know what? I know who I believed. I trust in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's wise in their own eyes. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly and despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence. The church Jesus has chosen out of this world is not made up of people who got everything right. That's not the one he's chosen for his bride. But the ones that come to him as broken and hurting sinners, lost folks, the the know-it-alls, they're the ones that realize they can't do anything apart from Him. And they've come to Him in humility. And they learn to accept Him and been accepted by Him and grown in, his, in confidence of His love for them. And received the gift of love and forgiveness and peace and health and power and mercy and protection and provision and prosperity and eternal life. He's provided all of that through his perfect life. He was the perfect one. Not only his life, but his death, his burial, his resurrection and enthronement. He's alive today. And he's interceding for you right now. I just want to read Romans 8 because... A little bit, just a couple of scriptures. Because when you understand the the grace of God and this beautiful picture of the grace of God that Paul laid out in the in this masterpiece, the book of Romans. And you finally understand the first seven chapters. Telling what God has done through Jesus Christ. And you get to Romans 8. It is like the sun breaking forth in the morning. Talking about a life in the Spirit. For the born again. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Go down to the 18th verse. I had to learn and embrace this scripture years ago. When I came out of this world and all the corruption of the world and the corruption that I had done in the world. And I saw myself as small. Just like those ten spies did that went up to spy out the land. I I saw myself as small. I saw myself as ugly and unacceptable and unusable and unworthy. And yet I accepted this call reluctantly from God when He made no bones about that it was really Him calling me and He showed me in so many compelling ways. And I knew that I would suffer persecution. Heck, I wouldn't have believed me either. 
And I embrace this scripture right here. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Really in us. Look at the 28th verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, raise your hands if you love the Lord. Okay. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. You know what it means to be justified? Just as if I'd never sinned. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's purpose for you and for me is to reign To have dominion in your life and in your sphere of influence. But it's a choice. It's up to us to be proactive. To take a stand. Picture a little baby. A child crawling around and just... When they they first start reaching up and grabbing hold of that coffee table or that chair. And pulling themselves up, you see. Then learning to walk. And how excited we get about that. Don't you know that your father in heaven is watching you the same way? And he wants you to take hold of this truth and run with it. The race that is set before you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for your word.
Thank you for these truths and thank you for allowing them to go down deep into the plowed ground of our hearts and take root and bear fruit in our lives. Thank you for you for loving us so much and for for giving us your son Jesus. Thank you Jesus that you are interceding for us and that you love us and that there's no good thing that will be withheld from us. Thank you for helping us to learn to be proactive and to cooperate with all of the spiritual laws that you've put in place, Father, for our benefit so that we might reign in this life and live that abundant life that you desire for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading and guiding us through this life to our final destination with our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.